Hope that you're doing well. Say good morning to everybody in your living room or wherever, what room you're watching in. And we're so glad that you're watching here with the live stream. And uh, we're looking forward to going into the book of Deuteronomy. Um, let me just go through a few quick announcements first. Obviously, we uh, almost everybody's watching online except for a handful that are here to set up. And uh, we did have one person in our church that wasn't in services last week, but they were in contact with other people through the week at some other events. So it, it affected such a large section of our church that we weren't thinking we'd have enough volunteers for children's ministry and nursery and set up. So we thought, let's just be extra safe and let's just not have church today. We will resume next week, barring anything else, anything else crazy out there. But uh, we are looking forward to doing that and being in person. I prefer talking to your faces a whole lot more than I prefer talking to a camera. But so since almost everybody's watching online, be sure to say something. Um, Ruth and your family watching from Florida and those of you watching from Louisiana and South Dakota, be sure to say something. Let us know you're there. Even if you're watching from Santa Fe or, or Pearland, please let us know you're watching. Make some comments. Say hi to one another. Um, and then... Uh, if this is your first time watching Revolution Church, let us know that as well. We'd like to send a gift to you, and we will have a question and answer session. So now everybody's got to text those in. This is my cell phone number there. If you've read something in the Bible this week that you thought, wow, I don't understand that, feel free to text that in. If it's about today's sermon, you can do that as well. Uh, in the way of a few quick announcements, we, uh, we are looking for families to host different activities. July 25th, just in a few weeks, uh, we're going to have a youth activity here, and we've invited several other churches, and it's called Camp Refresh. Here's the information for it right there. We're going to have games and pizza and some prizes and some music and things like that, and uh, just kind of a good time. Start about 1245 here after church, and it'll last till 315 approximately. So if you want to help volunteer with that, let us know. And if you want to help cover one of the other months, like October, November, uh, let me know if you'd be willing to help with that as well. Um, the uh, Santa Fe Life Group will not meet this week, nor will the Texas City one, but the Pearland one will meet at the Avalas this week, this Thursday night. So if you want details, text me about that. So hey, good news. We have, it looks like six people that want to go on the mission trip to Guatemala. That's awesome. Give the Lord a hand in your living room right there. And so they're going to have to raise about $1,500 per person. Um, so if you would like to donate to that later when I give the Venmo information, you can designate part of your offering to go to, um, just put Guatemala. If you can't spell it, I'm sure we'll get close. You can put a missions trip. Uh, but we need, if you are interested in going though, we actually need to know this week because this week is when they're buying the airplane tickets. So if you're definitely going, please definitely let me know uh, if you haven't done so already. Um, had coffee with the pastor with a couple people this week. It was great. And so uh, if you would like to meet me for a smoothie or I'll even buy an ice cream if you want, uh, I'd love to sit down and talk with you and just pray with you and see what God's doing in your life. Um, again, here's the giving instructions for Venmo. It is at Revolution Church HTX, at Revolution Church HTX. Convenient way to give your tithes and offerings. And again, don't forget to designate for uh, Guatemala. Or you can also designate for our building fund, which we're thankful that continues to grow. Be praying this week. I have a meeting that might go somewhere regarding a building. Maybe. I, it's a long shot. But then again, is there such thing as a long shot with God? He knows what's going on. So uh, be praying about that. Um, we were scheduled to have communion at, at the end of today's service, but we're going to put that off to next week. 
But um, I will tell you, be sure to be here for communion next week because we're going to do something very different uh, in the way we do communion. I think you'll be blessed by it. Um, let me share this verse of scripture with you. Everybody wants to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I know the plans I have for you, etc. And a lot of times that's taken out of context. But this is verse right here is a universal promise regardless of the context. And it definitely needs to apply to today. Uh, it, G, the Lord Jesus and pre-incarnate as Jehovah says, you will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. See, right now, watching in your living room, they might be distracted. We may not have all your heart. The Lord may not get all of it this morning. You may be worried about something. You may be bored. You may be looking forward to when this is over. But God this morning wants all of your heart because he gave his all for you. He wants, to have all, he wants you to be undivided in your heart. He wants you to be undistracted. So let's pray right now. And um, I want to ask you to have someone in your living room or wherever you're watching to lead your group in prayer, okay? I'm going to give a moment of silence for that. If you're by yourself, then pray to, your, pray to the Lord by yourself right there. And so I'm going to give about 45 seconds of silence while someone prays, and then I will pray for us as Revolution Church. Let's do that. Father in heaven, you deserve all of our heart. Forgive us for holding parts of it back. Lord, I just pray that we would focus on you and you alone this morning, that we would truly hear from your word. Show us things that we cannot see on our own. Teach us what we do not know. Give us what we need this morning. And Father, fill our hearts with the presence of your Holy Spirit. We are thankful that we could be connected at a church, as a church through this technology. But Lord, we long to be in person. So Lord, I just pray that you would just help us this morning to grow and to rejoin next week and to worship you in person. But this morning, let's, we can worship you wherever we're at. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in, in underground places around the world that are worshiping you from jail. So Father, if we can just be patient, we can worship you in our living room and we can give you the full worship you deserve. So Lord, this morning, we give you our, all of our heart. And we seek you. And we claim the promise that if we seek you with all our heart, we will be found by you. So meet with us this morning. Teach us what we need to know. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. So um, let me switch gears here to the sermon. We'll just go right into the sermon because there's no music here this morning. We were planning on having music, but a couple of the band members weren't feeling well. So we decided just to scratch that all together. The book of Deuteronomy, it means the second giving of the law. All of this was given in a matter of days by Moses. He's preparing Israel to go into the promised land. And so uh, that kind of gives us the context. Let me uh, read this for you. And I'm going to read verse 1. And then together in your living room, I want you to read all the even verses. 2, 4, 6, 8, etc. Okay, so Deuteronomy 26 verse 1 says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, and then read together on verse 2. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the Lord, to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there forever. 
Verse 3 says, And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God, that, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And now read with me on verse 4. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there. Few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And now read verse 6. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Verse 8, together. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then everyone together on verse 10. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Together on verse 12, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, the rest of the verse, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that you may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. And on the even verse, I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord, the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. I look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. Together on verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules and you shall therefore be careful to do with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you see the word all there a lot? That's a theme. And then verse uh, 17 says, You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't it great to have a Bible? Even whether you're reading a paper Bible this morning or you're doing YouVersion or some app, it is great to have access to the word of God and know that what we're reading is spoken from God. You remember, many of us when we were young, in school they talked about learning the three R's. Can you name what the three R's are? Let's go ahead and answer it in your living room there. Yeah, 
How, I wonder how many of you got it right. So here's what they were. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, obviously, spelling wasn't one of them because you can see the way it's laid out there. Um, but these were the three basic things you were supposed to learn in school. Of course, nowadays, people learn the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, because that's more important than learning to read and write, obviously. But uh, today, I'm going to go with, over with you seven R's. And I'm going to spend about three or four minutes on each of them, probably some more minutes on some and a few on less. But we're going to go through these pretty quickly, and here they are. Returning the tithe, responding by remembering, rejoicing in the Lord's goodness, removing the sacred portion, requesting the Lord's blessing, resolving to obey wholeheartedly, and receiving recognition from the Lord. These are the seven R's. The first one, returning the tithe. Verse 1 says, when you come into the land... When they enter to this promised land and when God has helped them defeat all their enemies and you take over all these houses you haven't built, these vineyards you haven't planted, and you take over all this. By the way, that phrase there, the land that the Lord, and sometimes it says has given you, is bringing you in, all these different phrases. But that phrase, the land of the Lord, 31 times it's mentioned in Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is all about this new promised land and what you're going to do once you get in there. And then he reminds you, this isn't a land that you're conquering. This isn't a land that you deserve. This is the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is a gift. I'm going to wipe out these enemies, and I'm going to give you this land. And again, you're going to inherit a whole lot of things in this land that you never could even imagine. The Lord's going to do abundantly above all you could ask or think in this situation. And keep in mind, this is a land that Moses is not going into which is all because of something he did in his past when he struck the rock the second time in his anger, which is a reminder that when you do things in anger, say things you shouldn't say, do things you shouldn't do, there is a price to be paid. And sometimes it may seem disproportionate, but that's why we shouldn't dabble in those things. Anyway, it says, for, the, for inheritance I have taken a possession. So, and then he goes on to say, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground. So you've got, whether it's a cornfield or barley field, a grapevine, olive branches, whatever it may be, he says you need to go in there when it's time for harvest and you need to take the first of it. Now, first here is not talking about chronologically, like the first 10% that you pick. It's talking about the first uh, in qualitatively that you're going to take the best 10% that, and give it to God. So you're going to go out there, you're not going to take rotten apples and give them to God. You're going to take the best apples, the first in quality, not and chronologically, and then which, which the harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and you should put it in a basket. And of course, if you have a lot, it's going to take a lot of baskets, but basically the point here is you're going to set it aside. That's important because today when we uh, don't deal in produce anymore and we don't do, deal in livestock as much, if, unless you're a farmer, we deal in cash. The principle of setting it aside is very important, as we'll talk about here in just a moment. It says, you shall go to the place. Now, of course, the place here, there were some temporary places once they got into the promised land, but eventually it was going to be the temple in Jerusalem. But God designates a place where he wants his offering to go. And, of course, we believe that that place is the local church today, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. And so when we bring our tithes into what the, what the Bible would call in Malachi the storehouse. So it brings up this debate that people have been having for decades, if not for centuries, about is tithing for Christians today? You know, people will always dismiss by saying, oh, that's Old Testament, that's under the law. Well, let's look at that. There's three, we just read about three types of tithes. <clears throat> and that's where some people will sound like, 
Now, some people who will debate you and say, well, tithing is not for today. In fact, if you really want to do it, it's 23 and a third. Because there's the sacred tithe, and then there's the festival tithe, and both of those were every year. But then every third year, there was what I'll call the poverty tithe. It was for the widow, the sojourner, and the orphan. And so 20%, and then every third year, divided by three, uh, the 10% divided by three would be 23 and a third that they were giving. Okay? And some people say, see, if you're really going to do it right, you've got to give 23 and a third. Well, they're taking things totally out of context. First of all, there's the sacred tithe, which is the Lord's and always has been the Lord's. It was the Lord's before the law. It's the Lord's after the law. If we were Jews living in the promised land under the book of Deuteronomy in a theocracy, and that was a form of government, then our laws would be we also need to contribute to the festival tithe, which would be a form of taxation. And then, as a form of social welfare, there was another taxation that was given every third year. So, does, does, does the festival tithe still apply today? No. Jesus has fulfilled all the festivals. Do we live under a theocracy where we give to the poor through the temple? No. We give through our taxes to our federal and state and local municipalities. But does the sacred tithe still apply today? I would say yes, it does. In fact, Abraham tithed before the law, okay? He gave tithes to Melchizedek. Before Moses was ever even born, before there was any commandments of a temple tax or like that, Abraham tithed. Why did he do that? Because it's a universal principle that the first 10% of whatever you make belongs to God. Uh, Moses tithed during the law, obviously, and the people did too. And then Jesus, in the New Testament, endorsed tithing. He told the Pharisees, man, you guys are so meticulous that you tithe on mint and cumin and other spices in your yard, but you've left out. He said, these things you should have done. He didn't say, stop doing that, because that's Old Testament. He said, these things you should do, but you've left out the weightier matters of the law, you're like justice and mercy towards your neighbor. And then also, the most important thing is, it was never retracted. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, stop tithing. You didn't see that. So, but let's say you still want to go with that whole idea that, oh, that 10%, that's under the law. Well, then let's go this way. If you believe that, if they should give 10% under the law, how much more should you give under grace? So I think 10% would just be a starting point if that's what you want to believe. And I believe it is a starting point, but I, I think it's still in place. We should give up. That's why the Bible talks about giving your tithes and offerings. So a good practice is maybe to add a percent every year. You know, if you've just started tithing, great. Next year, do 11%. Then do 12%. Then do 13%. And increase it to where you're giving above your tithes and offerings. I mean, above your tithe. And also, the book of Proverbs. When you read principles in the book of Proverbs, do you think, oh, that's Old Testament? And when it talks about being honest in your business, being loving towards your neighbor, ha, uh, uh, that a good wife is from the Lord, when the Proverbs says all those things, is that just Old Testament or all? Is Proverbs universal principles? Obviously, it's, it's wisdom for all time. And in Proverbs, it says, honor the Lord with the wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. And of course, the first fruits was always the first 10%. So I think even the wisdom of Proverbs says that we should do that. And God, if we, and what we're doing by giving that, it's not out of obligation, it is out of worship. We honor God. Also, think about it this way. That's why we call it returning the tithe. We really technically don't give our tithe, because give implies that it's ours, and we're going to exchange ownership from us to God, so we're going to give it to Him. No, technically we return the tithe because it's already His. Picture this, if you will, okay? Imagine that somebody lives in another country, 
and they're very wealthy, and they say, hey, I need you to do something for me. I'm going to send you two checks every week, uh, one for $100 and one for $900. So I'm going to send you $1,000 a week. What I need you to do is take the $100 check and deposit it into a bank account for me for my kids who are still living in that area. And that $100 a week is going to go in there to take care of them. The $900, you get to keep. And you get to use it for whatever you want. But the $100, I need you to deposit into this account for my kids. That's separate. Don't use that. So both checks are made out to you. So let's say you, you, have, you get both checks and you're like, man, things are really tight. Would you take both checks and deposit in your account and use that $100? No, that would be stealing because that's not yours. Well, that's exactly what God has done. He's saying that everything you make, the first 10% is mine. You give that to me. You deposit that into the local church to take care of my children, to take care of my church, the family of God. The rest of it, you get to live off of. That's what God has done in the New Testament, and that's pretty much the universal principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, each one must give. It's something that everybody does. And the great thing about the tithe is, it's proportionate. If you only made 50 bucks this week, then you don't have to give hardly anything. You give five. If you made nothing, you give nothing. If you made a lot, you give a lot. It's all proportionate. So it takes the poor, the middle class, and the wealthy all into consideration, and it's very proportionate. It says, as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God loves someone who enjoys this, someone who worships God as he gives and doesn't see it as an obligation, but as an act of worship. Let's move to the second R, responding by remembering. Responding by remembering. He says, and you shall make a response before the Lord your God. He's saying, remember all that you've done, all that God has done for you when you go into that harvest and you put all that, that fruit or the vegetables or everything into a certain basket and you bring it and you worship God. And what you're going to do is you're going to respond. You know, as I was studying this week, I realized this. Pretty much the entire Christian life can be summed up in responding. You're lost and someone shares the gospel with you, that you're a sinner and Jesus died in your place. He took your suffering and your pain upon himself to set you free. Will you respond? How are you supposed to respond? Respond in faith and to trust in the Savior. And then he's like, okay, now you're a child of God. You need to let everybody know. So how do you respond? You get baptized. You make public profession that Jesus died for me, that he was buried, and he rose again. And then as you think every day about the gospel, man, Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to suffer in hell. How do you respond? With thanksgiving. And then the Lord says, you know, you, I want you to grow. I want you to join a, a, a family of God. I want you to join a local church, a body. And how do we respond? We attend and we worship him by singing, praying, preaching, giving, and do, doing the Lord's Supper. All of those are responses to God's goodness. And when, when, when you read scripture in the morning, you're maybe reading on version, you're reading in your Bible, and the Holy Spirit convicts you that, hey, I'm not being very nice to my spouse. I'm not talking you know, respectfully to my wife. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to respond by being more like Jesus. You offend somebody with your words, you respond by apologizing. 
someone apologizes to you, you respond by showing them grace just like God showed to you. You don't hold a grudge. You accept their apology. You, you, through, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. The Christian life is all about responding to what God is doing. God is initiating his grace in your life every day. His mercies are new every day. And every day, what should we do? Say it out loud. We should respond, right? We should respond to what God is doing. That's the Christian life is responding. How do you respond to life circumstances? Verse 5 says, And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. And here's what he, David said. They actually would say this out loud. They'd set the basket down, and they would quote this. Maybe they'd have it written on paper. Hopefully, most Jews would probably memorize this, saying, A wandering Aramean. Who is that talking about? It's talking about Jacob, okay? Jacob wandered because he had stole his brother's birthright, and now he was fleeing for his life. So he was wandering in Aramea. And it says he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there. And now it's going to tell a short capsulization of history. Few in number, and there he became a nation. So a handful of people went down, but became a great and mighty nation and very populous. Now, how many went down? Let's see here. In Genesis 46, it says, And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. And all the persons of the household of Jacob, who came in Egypt, were 70. So 70 people grew, went, went down and grew to seven. Then when 70 went down, and if you count Joseph's two sons who were already there because Joseph was sold into slavery, we got 70 plus two. Follow that closely because this number, if you're into numbers and you like to geek out on this kind of stuff, I think you'll think this is really cool. I, I enjoyed it, learning this this week. I'm going to chase a rabbit here if you don't mind. <clears throat> so in Numbers 11, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather to me how many? Seventy men of the elders. And plus Moses and Aaron made how many? Seventy plus two, seventy-two. Whom, the, whom you know the elders are the people and officers. Because remember Jethro said, man, you're trying to do this all by yourself. You need to delegate. So God says, hey, great idea. Grab seventy plus the two of you and you will be the leaders and share and distribute the leadership. And then watch this here. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, which some translations say the Sanhedrin. And what was the Sanhedrin? It was 70 members. And now th their interpretation of this was 70 plus 1 representing Moses. I think they missed it there because it should have been Moses and Aaron. Again, they didn't do that as inspired. That was just the rabbinical tradition. But they had the 70, the council. And they said, what are we to do? Because they were conspiring against Jesus in this situation. So you know what Jesus does? He responds to their so-called Sanhedrin, and he said the Lord appointed Jesus, appointed 72. Now some translations say 70, and some translations say 72. And I think in those situations, there's no major conflict there. This isn't like, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. It's some scribes were counting it the way I'm counting it with the, the 70 plus two, and some were leaving it alone as, a, as in the 70. And like I said, the, the Greek makes it kind of complicated. But he said 72, and others sent them out ahead two by two. Okay? So 36 different pairs of evangelists go all over the Palestinian area sharing the gospel, performing miracles, casting out demons, and doing all the things. And then they, remember, they came back very excited that all this happened. And he said, hey, don't be excited that the devils listen to you. Be excited that your names are written down in heaven. Okay, but anyway, watch this here with the, the 72. So that's what Jesus did. He sent two by two, 72 of them around to, co to spread the gospel all over that area. Watch this. Jesus is going to do this again someday. 
In Revelation chapter 7, it says, Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees, or until we have sealed the servants of our God, those ones we're going to send, and then a seal is in their foreheads. That's an interesting discussion we can talk about another time. And I have heard the number, uh, the sealed, 144,000. Watch this. What is 144,000? It's a thousand pairs of 72. So Jesus, instead of sending 36 pairs around the Palestinian area, he's going to send 1,000 pairs all over the world to preach the gospel during the tribulation. Isn't that awesome? So it started with Moses and his 70, and then you see the 70 under the, the, under what Jesus sends out, and then, of course, it's, it's all symbolic of what's going to happen in the future. And then they go on to say, after they've laid this basket down, and we remember how the Egyptians treated us harshly. They humiliated us. And they laid on us hard labor. Now, most of the people saying this didn't actually experience this. They're talking about their ancestors, which is so important to understand where you came from. Those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Think about where you came from, your family roots came from. Think about how much better we live today. I mean, we walk around with supercomputers in our hands, okay? And our parents had to do dial-up internet. And the parents before them didn't have any internet. And if you wanted to look up something, you had to look at an encyclopedia. And their parents didn't even have encyclopedias or couldn't afford encyclopedias. And yet we drive around with cars. Our kids have nicer cars than our great-grandparents ever thought about having. So if you think about all that God has blessed us with, stop complaining. <laughs> That's the point of this, is if you think about their, what, he, what he's trying to show them is no matter how hard life is, you're not being treated anything like your ancestors were treated. And also picture this. Egypt is a picture of the world. And that Joseph was the Savior and brought, saved them out of there. And Moses brought them out. He's also a picture of Jesus' as Savior. And that if you, you, if you used to be lost and now you're saved, you have a lot to be thankful for because the world can be a whole lot more harsh than, um, than the Christian life could ever be. Um, I lost my spot here. Okay, there we go. All right, now. It says, as they're still repeating the history, then we cried to the Lord. You know, it's sad that it wasn't until they were being treated harshly, humiliated, and had labor put on their shoulders that they realized they needed to cry out to God. Have you ever been like that? <laughs> I have. It's sometimes like prayer is something I just kind of do and go through the motions. But then when tragedy strikes, then I, my prayer life really steps up. And God wants our prayer life to step up whether it is tragedy or not. He wants us communicating with him daily, earnestly, because the reality is you need him just as much during everyday life as you do during a tragedy. You just don't realize it. So then we cried to the Lord, God of our fathers, and he heard our voice, and he saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Now, there is a chiastic structure in the first 11 verses of this chapter. And again, this is really small, but really all I want you to see is the colors. It starts off in verse 1 with the fruit of the earth, the first fruits. And it ends in verse 10 with the first fruits. Then it talks about the land and the place and the country. The land and the place and the country. And then towards the end you'll see about this place and land. And then it talks about we went down into Egypt, experienced affliction, and then we were taken up out of Egypt. But the very center of this passage, and this is the main point in yellow there, and when we cried unto the Lord our God our fathers, the Lord heard our voice. God does hear prayers. And I think the reason we don't pray is because we don't truly believe that. If we really knew that our God hears our prayers, 
then we, I think we would spend a whole more lot time, including Gary, a whole lot more time praying. But that's the, key, the center of this chiastic structure there. So, and it says, And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so God showed his strength. And of course, he, what did he do? Ten plagues, which were just amazing. But each one of these plagues was an attack on an Egyptian god, showing that God is the strong one and his hand is more powerful. But keep this note in your back of your head about the, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm because we're going to come back to that because it's very important. And it says, and God didn't... So let me read this to you. God didn't give Israel the law and then deliver them from bondage. That's important. God delivered them from bondage, then he gave them the law. In other words, God didn't say, hey, here's 10 commandments. If you're good enough, I'll let you out of Egypt and take you into the promised land. No, he delivered them and then said, now that you're my children and in the promised land, keep these commandments. Why is that important? Because people, most religions of the world say, if you do this, this, and this, then you get to be God's children and go to heaven. And God says, no, no, I make you my child, I save you, and now I'm saying, hey, live this way. Keep these commandments. If you try to keep the commandments to gain salvation, you will fail. No one is justified by the law. Just read the book of Romans. It says that phrase over and over again. The law is a matter of how to live. And we'll talk more about that in a second as well. Verse 9 says, And he brought us into this place, and he gave us this land, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk means the cattle are thriving. Honey means the produce and the plants and everything are thriving. And so this is a land with great vegetation and great livestock. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. Revolution Church, please get this. Every morning when you wake up and you open your refrigerator, God has given you what's in there. When you put clothes on your back, God has given those to you. When you get in the car, God has given to you. When you go to your job, God has given you that job. Everything you have, you say, oh no, I worked for all this. Who put the breath in your lungs to work for all of it? And you know what? God has orchestrated all these things for you. And it says, and you shall set it down, the basket, the, before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. You know what? When you realize that everything you have is a gift from God, your response, remember the Christian life is about responding, should be worship. That's why I'm, I'm really, I guess maybe annoyed shouldn't be the word, but it probably is, when people say, oh, I, me and God, we have a relationship. I don't need to go to church. I'm like, why would you not want to go with God's people and celebrate and worship God for all the amazing things he's done for you? You know, we need, we need a body to worship with. The Bible commands us to, to do these things together. The third thing here, rejoicing in God's goodness. Rejoicing in God's goodness. And the rest of these will kind of rattle off a little quicker. And you shall rejoice in all that the good that the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite, the sojourner. Now, notice that there's two yous there. Is that redundant? Well, the first you is talking about y'all. If you were to translate this into Texan, it would be y'all, that God has given to y'all, the nation of Israel, and to your house, so we go from the nation to your house, everybody in your, that lives on your uh, section of property, you, you know, whether you have multiple generations or whatever, and then to you specifically, you individually. That's the difference between the two. And not only to the nation, to your household, to you specifically, but guess what? To the Levite. Now, why does he mention the Levite here? Because the Levites didn't have a land of possession 
when they designated the, to divide the land up into 12 sections, the 12 tribes, the Levites didn't get anything. They had to live amongst everybody, and they had to live off the support of the people. So when they brought their baskets, guess who then took the baskets and helped to lead them in worship? Then took the basket and ate it. And when they sacrificed the lamb, they ate it. So that's how the Levites survived. But not only this, the Levites, but also the sojourner, someone who's from another country who's passing through, maybe working as a day laborer during the harvest before he goes back to his land. Everybody from the, mo from the pastor or the priest you look up to, to the sojourner who's not even one of you, treat them all equal. That's what he's saying here in this situation. And then verse 12 says, And when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year. So think about that. I talked about that before every third year. But think about this. If you're poor, you know that every third year there's going to be a big party, a big celebration, and you're going to get really well fed. And they're going to stock you up with a lot of food to get through the next season. So you saw this every three years having, it was like Thanksgiving on steroids where everybody had everybody over. That means you'd have this big feast, but then you would invite not only all your other relatives, but you would invite the wid widows, the orphans, and even the day laborers and the sojourners and the Levite. You'd have the pastor over, everybody around for a big meal every third year. And this wasn't just a one-day event like Thanksgiving. This probably would be like a week-long event to where you would just party and have a great time and celebrate and give one-third of all your stuff away to these people. Isn't that pretty cool? I, I think there's a lesson in hospitality there that we could learn from. And it says, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. The filled there means you know, the rejoicing and the filling. It's talk, basically talking about partying. And basically, it's not in a bad way, but, but having a big feast like Thanksgiving and everybody, not, not just having enough filled at one meal, but throughout the week, and that they'd go home with bushels, and the poor and the widows and the fathers would all be taken care of. The next one is removing the sacred portion. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion, which is the first fruits. I put it in a basket. I set it aside. Maybe he took it out of the house and put it in a barn. Maybe he locked it up somewhere, but he, he did something to do it. And then he says, then, then I gave it like I was commanded to do. I haven't eat it, eaten it. And he, he gives three reasons why someone might eat their tithe. So they've taken, let's say, just apples, and they put the best apples, the best 10% in the basket, and then they set it aside, and in a couple days, they're going to make their way to the, the priest to offer it there. And, but then someone in their family dies, and they're mourning. And maybe it was comfort food, I don't know. But they feel like, oh, I'm having a bunch of people over because we're all mourning together, and we're having a funeral. So you know what? I'm going to pull that basket back out and eat it. He said, no, don't do that. And then he says, the second one, he says, or I was unclean. Let's say that they came in contact with a dead animal or they had to bury the dead per person or family who died. Guess what? They couldn't go to worship that Sabbath. So they had that basket of food had to wait. And like, well, while I'm waiting, I guess I'll go ahead and eat it and use it. He said, no. Even if you couldn't, even if you had to miss a Saturday at Sabbath, you had to hold on to it. And then the last one's pretty interesting. Or offered it, any of it, to the dead. Now, you can probably don't have to know too much about the Bible to know that that's a pagan practice. And that was going around by the Canaanites all around. They were offering meals to the dead. 
You say, well, that's what weird people did way back when. No, this is happening all over the world. This is a picture, recent picture, in China where they have this food for the dead. And I could probably show you when I was doing, um, looking at Google Images, pictures from all over the world, even in America, people offering things to the dead. And one of the things we see very clearly is the world has an obsession with the dead, and Jesus has an obsession with the li- those who are living. I have come to give you life. Satan came to seek, kill, and to destroy. You see, uh, be really careful about obsession with the dead in, that, in a culture. Because some people will be tempted to now give that offering, like my Canaanite neighbors, to the dead, instead of giving it to, as a tithe to the Lord. Then there's requesting the Lord's blessing. So they pray this, and think about this, pray this with me here. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven. Notice, holy and heaven. Does that sound familiar? The disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. You see that right there? That's Jesus is reinforcing, when he taught them to pray, he is reinforcing the pattern that had been all throughout the Bible. And so bless your people and the ground that you have given us, that you have sworn to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So everything about this land, they realize they have to be thankful for. Be thankful that God gave it. Be thankful that God promised it and he kept his promise. And be thankful that it's not a desert, but it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they, the response again was what? To be thankful. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer means you're, conver- you're having a conversation with God. Supplication means you're asking God to supply things. You're requesting things. And you do both of those what? With thanksgiving. Our prayers as God's people should be full of God. I thank you for this and I'm thankful for this. So I pray that you'd help me find a job and I'm thanking you in advance that you're going to help me find that job. I'm thankful that you've met my needs while I don't have a job. And you're just thanking God all through the prayer. Whether you're asking for something, you're just telling God how good he is, you're mixing thanksgiving throughout the whole thing. And that's how you let your request be made known to God. And then we resolve to obey wholeheartedly. Remember, we saw the word all so many times because God wants all your heart. You see, God had none of Saul's heart. God had David's whole heart. And then Solomon, it said, the Bible says, he, his heart was divided. He had half of his heart. Does God have all your heart this morning or this week and in your life? And then it's interesting, he says, verse 16, this day the Lord your God commands you to do. He's saying, today, give all your heart to the Lord. He said, think about the past. How much has Israel messed up? They, they didn't have food. Oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. They didn't have water. Oh, did you leave us out here to die? Oh, well, we have manna, but why, why can't we have any meat? Oh, well, this quail. And they complained about everything. And they had totally messed up. And God saying, you know what? Let's start over. Today. Let's start afresh. And so for those of you watching out there, you may think about your past and think, man, I have just messed up so much. I can't even imagine trying to live for God now. And God says, this day, you get a fresh start. This day is the first day of the rest of your life, like the old cliche. You get to start afresh. His mercies are new every morning. So he says, you're going to keep the statutes and the rules. The statutes and the rule mean this is what God wants you to do, and this is how you're going to do it. Those are both very important. 
And he says, you shall therefore be careful to do them. It takes care. It takes an intentionality to, to live the Christian life that you're going to plan things out to make sure you do that. And again, do it with all your heart and with all your soul. God doesn't want a divided heart. So when he talks about these commandments, again, I mentioned this earlier, but this is so important. And this comes from uh, Sam Imadi, a pastor, an elder at Third Avenue Baptist Church. He says, the law is a way of life, but not the way to life. Many people have this idea, if I keep the Ten Commandments, I'm a good person, then I'll get eternal life. No, it's not true at all. Now that you're saved, this is a way of life. It's not the way to life. All right. And he says, you have declared today, again, emphasizing, forget the past, don't worry about the future. Today, you declare that the Lord your God and that you will walk in his ways, you'll keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules, and you will obey his voice. See the verbs there? Walk, it's your lifestyle. Keep, hold on to them tightly, and do what you learn. Obey his voice. Hear the word of God. And God speaks primarily through his word, so do what scripture says to do. So let's make this personal, okay? Would you join me? I want you in your living room to read this out loud. And I've changed it to, to I, okay? Verse 17. I declare today that the Lord is my God and that I will walk in his way and I will keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and I will obey his voice. Amen. But you know what? It's more important not only to do this, you commit as an individual, but let us commit as Revolution Church because walking with the Lord is easier when we're walking with others and when we're doing it on Sundays and we're doing it in our life groups and we're doing life together. So let's read it again as Revolution Church. We declare today that the Lord is our God and that we will walk in his ways and we will keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and we will obey his voice. Amen. It's so important that we do that together as God's people. And more importantly, for your kids to hear that, that this, is, this really is something that matters to us. This is what our life is all about. Then the, the last one here, receiving recognition from the Lord. Receiving recognition from the Lord. And so they declared to the Lord, we're going to walk in your ways. We're going to do all these things with this. So then God responds. We respond, then God responds. So the Lord now declares that you are a people for his treasured possession. Treasured possession means something that's super valuable to him. What's the most valuable thing you have? What's the most valuable thing you own? I mean thing, not counting your kids, but what's the most valuable thing you have? Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your car. God says the most valuable possession he has is you. That's amazing because you were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that makes you his treasured possession. And then as he has promised you, God always keeps his promises. And that's how we live by faith, knowing that he who's promised will perform it. Okay, so when you're not sure what's happening, trust God that he's going to keep his promise. And so therefore your response to him keeping his promise is that you, you keep all of his commandments. We don't pick and choose. Verse 19 says, and that he will set you in praise, in fame, and in honor, and how above all nations. Israel became, especially under David and Solomon, the greatest nation on planet earth. And it wasn't because they were bigger, stronger, or wealthier. They started out as slaves, 70 people in Egypt. And they became anywhere from one and a half to two million people coming out into the promised land. And because they obeyed his commands, 
because they were honest with one another, because they had discipline of their children and their community, because they had godly leadership set up over them, they became a great and powerful nation above everything else. And so when other nations looked to that, they automatically thought, wow, if they're so great, it must be because their God is so great. And that's why Jesus called them the city set, that was set on a hill. When you see Jerusalem, even to this day, it's a city set on a hill, and at night it's lit up. And that's what the nations of the world saw then. And God says his church is to be that way, that a nation city set on a hill. And it says that we are supposed to be a people that are holy, set apart to God. We are, we are different. We are special because of him who saved us. We are supposed to be a different type of people, living a different lifestyle to a higher standard. 1 Peter 2.9 uses the same language. Look, look at 1 Peter 2.9 and then look back about what he said in these previous verses. See the colors there? Now watch what he says, and Peter uses similar language. But you are a chosen race. Could be also translated nationality. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. His own possession also could be translated treasured possession. In other words, it's valuable to them personally. That you may, pro why? So you may pro proclaim excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So look at that list right there. And let's just see Jesus throughout all of it. Jesus, Paul calls him the first fruits. He's the first to rise from the dead. He is the greatest of all, all, the, all those of resurrection. He, God sent his very best to planet earth. And then when we do communion, what does he say? This do in remembrance of me. That whenever we remember what Christ did through the broken body and the shed blood, we respond in worship. And then he says, rejoicing in God's goodness. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 talks about God's goodness. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, God is our Savior. If you don't believe Jesus is God, Scripture's right there playing in front of your face right there. When the goodness of, and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works we had done. Not because we kept the Ten Commandments. Not because we were good to our neighbor. He didn't save us because of any of those things in our own righteousness. But he saved us according to his own mercy. He, mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. You deserve hell. I deserve to be crucified. I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. But God showed mercy. And by how did he, do, how did he transfer us? He, by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this morning. Have you been washed by the Holy Spirit of God? Have you been born again? Have you had that second birth experience? Back to the list here. They set aside the sacred portion. Well, Jesus, over and over again, the psalm says, the Lord is my portion. And Jesus was set aside for a purpose. And he is that sacred portion that was sacrificed for us. And then when we request the Lord's blessing, remember, in the, in the temple, there was a Pharisee saying, God, I thank you. I'm not like other sinners. I tithe and I do all these wonderful things. Aren't you impressed with me? And he even had the audacity to say, and I'm not like this sinner over here. And what did the sinner over here say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're lost, God still hears that prayer. God says, be merciful. You can cry out to him in mercy, and God will bless�����������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������������
but to make him the Lord of our life. That's why the Bible says if you call upon the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. We are to give him all of our heart, not just the part of us that wants to go to heaven, but all of our life. And then receiving recognition from the Lord, God, when you make that decision, God recognizes you as his chosen people. When you're born again, you enter into the family of God. Some people mistakenly say, well, we're all God's children. No. Jesus talked to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. That they were children of the devil. You become a child of God when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And that's how you accept him as your, he becomes your heavenly Father when you accept Jesus Christ, his Son. So you can trust in Jesus today to save you from the punishment of your sins if you confess him as the Lord of your life. Would you like to do that decision right now? I want to ask all of God's people that are watching from home to pray because there could be someone watching online today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. And if that might be you, you don't know Jesus as Savior, you've never been born again, you've never been washed by the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit and been born again, you can do that today. Would you pray with me? If you're lost, you could pray a prayer, something like this. Father in heaven, I, I know that I'm a sinner. The guilt is haunting. I know that I deserve to be punished for my sins, but I am so very thankful that Jesus took that punishment for me. So today, I confess you as Lord of my life. I give you my whole heart, and I accept your forgiveness of all my sins because you died in my place, and I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I sure hope that someone made that decision today. If that would be you, I want you to let me know. This is my cell phone number. You can text me or call me sometime today, and uh, let's talk about your next steps as a new believer as we welcome you to the family of God. Um, like I said, next Sunday we will do um, communion. But right now we're going to do question and answer time. So let's see. I think I saw some texts come in. You can text those even now as we're talking. So let's see here. It says, I'm curious. Do you find out the chiastic structures you point out in the sermon during your personal study or do you identify them being an external source? Um, both. Um, there is a, um, uh, a website called Chiastic Exchange. It's one of several where pastors and other people, as they find these, they submit them and people comment on them and people say, well, I kind of more say it this way. Some are super obvious, some are not. I have discovered some of them on my own. Others, like this one, I, I found on the Chiastic Exchange. It doesn't say who submitted it. Um, but yeah, you will see these. And uh, again, once in a while, you might be able to find one on your own. It does take some diligence, but sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're less obvious, but great, uh, great, great question. Here's another question. Uh, I understand God wants me to tithe, but what if I have had a reduction in income, a single parent, or my bills are greater than my income? God, doesn't God understand that I cannot afford to tithe? My struggles are real. Um, man, great question. So let's take it bit by bit. Um, what if I've had a reduction in income? The great thing about the tithe is that means you have a reduction in your tithe. If your income went down, your tithe goes down. God keeps it in proportion. That's what's so equitable about it. What if you're a single parent? Again, you're not a two-income family. You're a one-income family, so God expects, expects less. I realize it's still more difficult, but here's where God takes care of. He's a father to the fatherless. And what he's saying to you is trust me. Uh, in Malachi... It says, you know, that 
to test me. And anywhere else in the scripture, it says testing God is a bad thing. But when it comes to tithing, he says it's a good thing. And so um, many of us could share stories of when we didn't know where the next things were going to come from, but we gave our tithe anyway. And next thing you know, money came in from another source. Trust God. But what did the, what did the priests have to do? They had to put their feet in the water first. Then God parted the waters. God, they didn't say, God said, I'll part the waters and you step in. We, it's an act of faith that we say, you know what, I'm going to give and trust that God's going to provide. If we wait till God provides, then where's the faith? Where's the trust? Um, doesn't God understand I can't afford to tithe? And my response would be the classic cliche. I apologize for the cliche, but you can't afford not to tithe. It's a matter of trusting God. Uh, another question here. I know that I'm not saved by works, but is it okay to follow the law and do works, or does that make me similar to a Pharisee? Man, that's a great question. Let me not give a knee-jerk answer. You want to obey the law. Obviously, you want to worship God and no other, first commandment. You want to lay, love your neighbor as yourself, and thou shalt mur not murder still applies. All those things still apply. Again, you're not doing it to be saved, but you're doing it because you're saved. But then, when you're talking about the Levitical law, as in don't eat pork and do all these other things, Jesus has fulfilled the, the ceremonial law. It's the core, the Ten Commandments that we still keep today. So that's a great question. Again, it's a, it's a way of life, not a way to life. <clears throat> Here's another question. What happened to Israelites who died before Jesus was born if they kept the commandments? Well, it's a complicated question. So people in the Old Testament were saved the same way you and I are. We look back 2,000 years to the cross, and we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They looked forward to the cross hundreds or thousands of years, and they trusted Messiah as their Savior. They may or may not have known that his name was Jesus, but they knew a Messiah was coming. All the way back to Adam and Eve, they knew a Messiah was coming, that he would crush the head of the serpent, which is the one who tempted them to sin, and Adam brought sin into the world. So if you read in Galatians, I don't remember exactly what verse, chapter and verse it is, but it says God preached the gospel to Abraham. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Abraham knew when he was going to sacrifice Isaac that this is a picture of God sacrificing his son for me. He, didn't, he just didn't know even when he was going to have to go through with it. But the Heavenly Father, he went through with it. So people were saved in the Old Testament by looking forward to Messiah and trusting him as Savior. That gave them the strength to obey the law. People who obeyed the law or tried to <laughs> without being saved failed miserably. That's why you see Israel failing over and over and over again, showing that here's my standard. You can't do it. There's none righteous, no, not one. You need a Messiah. And so that's how they were saved. So I think I, I hope, hopefully I answered that well. Um, and that's all we have for right now. Okay, cool. So Matt, if you'll go to the last slide for me there. And I want, you to, I want to tell you all to be thankful for Matt. You could text him or comment that him and Patrick and Sam came up here and set up everything. Um, and we didn't do out the carpet, obviously, but we did do a few chairs and everything you see. So we appreciate him doing that. So be sure to thank Matt for that. Are you able to go to the next slide for me? There we go. Um, keep going. Actually, there's one that says prayer, I think, or scripture. All right. Let's just, we'll go ahead and we'll pray. All right. So, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the ability to meet with your people via technology. Uh, we thank you for the word. I pray that we would seek you with our whole heart, 
that we would obey you with our whole heart, we would worship with our whole heart, whether that's through the giving of our tithes, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our time. I pray that this list of seven R's we would rehearse throughout the week and, and it would be a gauge for our love and obedience to you. Thank you that Jesus set the example and he was fully loving and fully obedient and he gives his righteousness to us for the things we could not do as he took the punishment that we did not take. So we're thankful for the gospel. Pray that we would live it this week. May it make us better kids, better parents, better husbands, better wives. May the gospel make us better employees and better neighbors because we realize we've received so much more grace than we could ever deserve that it should overflow to everyone around us, to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday revolution. Take care. Hopefully see you this week.